Hello and welcome. My name is Steve Pugh. Uh, sorry for the, what are we on, four minute delay from what we planned to. We had a slight technical issue, but you know, these things happen. It's a real live, live stream. Uh, today and what I do with the Growth Strategy Podcast and live stream is try and introduce you to interesting people that I think will help either be able to boost your business or career. Today, Tim is no exception. We've got a really interesting conversation that we're going to go through for the next kind of 30, 40 minutes. Uh, we're going to explore Tim's career and his background and his business and what he's doing at the moment and then also just kind of go off on the odd tangent to do with if any kind of anything interesting comes up so normally i kind of do a bit more of an introduction but i'm going to bring the guest right in straight away and then yeah we'll just jump into a really interesting conversation and i hope you join us so tim there we go you should be live would you like to say hi to everyone Hi, everyone. Hi, Steve. Thank you very much for having me. No, thank you. And thank you again for your patience. It was funny that when a disaster happens, it's always awkward being on the other end of the call <laughs> when someone's trying to get it to work. But anyway. But you stayed very cool and under the under the pressure anyway. But the good thing is, but what I always try and do with my uh, the stuff that I do is that, you know, I'm a real person, as you are, and, you know, a lot of people we work with, that, yeah, things aren't always going to be perfect. And then sometimes just, uh, you know, when things go wrong, I talk about it just because one, it's more, it's real to me, but actually if other people try and do this again and live streaming is a lot more difficult than people think and something does go wrong, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, so would you like to tell people a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, my name's Tim. I have a business called Opportunity. Um, we specialize in matching companies with public sector tender opportunities. So what that means is anything and everything that the government or public sector opportunity, uh, public sector organizations are buying. So that could be councils, uh, NHS housing associations, uh, universities, any publicly funded organization, anything they're buying from felt tips through to new roads, we specialize in helping companies to match with those. That's probably not about me, is it? You said introduce me and I've introduced my company. No, no, cool. But, you know, we've got the next kind of 40 minutes to do. It. And actually, Matt Ord's already commented. I don't know if you can see it says, uh, great neighbor, great family guy, ridiculously smart. So I think he's trying to butt you up for, uh, for that. But again, but that's part of the beauty of this is almost it's when people can comment. Uh, and I'm still trying to get a feel for the new setup, my ability. I blatantly put my questions in the wrong place because my camera's blocking it. But it's all part of learning curve. But then it's great that, you know, when after, you know, this goes out, obviously I save it and it goes onto YouTube. You know, it's always fun to kind of, people will watch and they will love to hear your story. And then it's that interaction that happens afterwards. And sometimes when you kind of have a long form content, which I guess this is when we have a, you know, talk for a while, it's, it's nice to be able to dig a bit deeper. And Matt, again, as a previous guest, I appreciate your time and stuff, Matt. Cool. Um, so one of the things I always love to do and talk about is to explore your kind of your journey and your background and where you grew up and everything like that. Um, and the reason we do that or the reason I try and do that is that there'll be people that are much younger who might be from the same town you're from or whichever, who actually you know, they might be tempted by entrepreneurship and what is it and how does it work? And actually, if they see you or Matt or Emily Bentley or whoever, and actually, you know, these are people that might be real people to them. It might also give them a bit more uh, inspiration and confidence to do this themselves. Um, that actually, you know, I think it's really interesting if you're happy to, to like share that story about where you grew up and what you were like at school. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what was I like at school? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I grew up in Hartlepool. Uh, so Teesside base, grew up in Hartlepool, um, didn't anticipate being where, where I thought, where I am now, 
always wanted to be a footballer, like most young boys in Hartlepool. I think 90% of us want to be footballers. Uh, that didn't quite work out for a number of reasons. Did you ever play? Uh, yeah, yeah, I played for Hartlepool, uh, Hartlepool United. Oh, so you, you're pretty good then. Uh, no, not the first team. <laughs> I didn't quite get there. Um, but yeah, I, I loved it anyway and I enjoyed it and I always thought that's what I was would do. Honestly, I had a plan. My plan was if I couldn't make it in the UK, I would move to a country where the standard of football was worse. And if I ended up literally in the Faroe Islands where there was like 20,000 people playing football, that's what I was going to do with my life. Um, had some knee operations and couldn't couldn't quite go through with that. Um, so I went to college, uh, went to university in, in Newcastle, um, studied architecture, which is a bit of a change from football, but, you know, <laughs> um, really enjoyed that. A great, a great life experience. I think it changed my perceptions of the world a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I'd come from quite a small town, hadn't really been very far, yeah. met people that had been and done a hell of a lot more than I seemed to have. Um, and kind of really broadened my horizons. Um, it, was, it was a great experience. I made lots of great friends there and helped me to, I think, be more aspirational. That whole thing about seeing other people who you can relate to, what you mentioned in there and thinking, yeah, I can do what they've done. I kind of met people who've been a lot of places, done a lot of things and thought, oh my God, maybe I can do some of those things too. I'm a little late compared to where they were, but, um, so I, I studied architecture, got a degree in architecture, thought I was going to be an architect. Mm -hmm. Turns out I'm not. Uh, <laughs> uh, moved into practice and, and very quickly realized it, it wasn't quite for me or I wasn't quite for it. Did you do the full seven years? I didn't know. No, oh, I, did, okay. I did the three year part one qualified architect. Uh, then I did the year in practice and then I was due to go back and do my part two and just thought, you know what, if I'm not 100% committed at this stage, I've got a long way to go before I'm fully qualified yeah. as an architect. But things, but you know, that, that takes great bravery to actually decide to, that it's not for you. And you know, it, it's, I'm trying to think of someone in my previous guests, but it's almost where at the time, we all go through different phases where at the time it might feel like a failure or whenever make, anyone makes a fundamental shift as, you know, say, well, actually I was planning to do this and then it changed. At the time, you know, you often have mixed feelings about it, but actually it's the right decision if your heart's not quite in it just to explore other things. And then hopefully you did kind of move on to your your passion. So, yeah. you know, what what happened next at uni? I think a, a lot of people um, that I talk to have had that situation where something that at the time seemed like, oh my God, it's a disaster, actually turns out one of the best things and leads them down to something that really... Is amazing but it's so hard to see at that time when you're like i'm lost i don't know what to do i don't know where to go um but uh, i kind of tempt for a bit um you know did random jobs doing all kinds of things filing bits of paperwork mm -hmm. and all kinds of different things uh, until i ended at a company called working links okay uh, i went there as a temp job i got offered a permanent job uh, i loved the company i loved what they were doing I loved that they, the company were, the company's unfortunately gone bust now, but at the time it was a huge company. It was, you know, a couple hundred million turnover company. Mm. Um, and they specialized in helping long-term unemployed people into work. And I really was kind of excited by the fact that they were changing people's lives. I think, I think that might even be in the strap line, changing people's lives. Uh, <laughs> so I did a graduate management program of them, moved over to Manchester um, the management program was fantastic. 
you got to do literally every job in the company. Yeah. So everything like day one, you were kind of welcoming welcoming people as a reception person, and then you work your way through through the team doing the different jobs, kind of I suppose up the uh, the management structure and and learning all the different things that they do, um, and that job kind of led me into the world of bids and tenders. Uh, Honestly, I didn't grow up dreaming of being a bid writer. Uh, Just, you know, before we jump into that, because obviously I think that's going to be the bulk of the conversation before we go into opportunity and that kind of thing. What were you like at school? As in, so if, uh, <laughs> oh, she can come in if she wants. <laughs> I knew it would happen. <laughs> I've got four kids, so it's inevitable. They've all come home from school, so one of them was going to come in at some point, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, but Tim, this is also the beauty of, you know, but so one of the, the things that we'll probably talk on later is all about social media and stuff, you know, but actually the fact that, you know, we all work from home. Yes, I am in an office, but I've worked from home for a long time, but it's, it's, you know, everyone goes through this. Everyone has the delivery driver, as you said, turned up just before we came on the call. Uh, you know, it, it's real stuff, but what that does, it means that anyone who does watch this will appreciate it and resonate with it because we're all going through exactly the same kind of thing, but almost that's what makes us human. So, yeah. um, so the, the question was, um, what were you like at school? Were you a naughty kid? Were you a good kid? Um, I think, uh, I think I was a good kid. I think so. I was always a bit rebellious. I think I had, I think I had a lot of confidence. I think my dad said I had confidence to do everything, but I just didn't have the ability to match it. <laughs> you know, I, I thought I could do lots of things. I don't think I was necessarily cocky, but I think I always believed that if I wanted to do something, I could just do it. And I'd, you know, I'd put a lot of effort into that. Um, That's pretty cool. And I think probably, like, so I grew up in Liverpool and football is massive there. But actually, again, if you were good at football, you're one of the cool kids and it will just give you that inherent confidence to almost, you know, if you find something you're good at, it's, no, it's cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I loved sport at school. I'd literally play every and any sport, whether that was to get out of lessons, I don't <laughs> know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I quite enjoyed school, I think. Um I'm a very social person, so you know I enjoyed having lots of friends. I enjoyed playing lots of sports. Um, did I enjoy a lot of learning? Not always. Uh <laughs> See, I think for me, what it was was that I was always quite academically good at the stuff, but there was two things. One, I was short-sighted and it was never picked up because all the cool kids would sit at the back. I'd get bored because, and I'd get disruptive because I couldn't see the board properly, so I'd lose attention but I was still quite good at it. And it's, no, I completely agree, but it's almost when you find your passion or you find the reason that learning will actually help you achieve whatever it is that you want to do, which I didn't learn till quite late. I think at that point, you know, it's then quite exciting to work on personal development and stuff. But I think a lot of kids, being honest, don't really know what it is they want to do. So therefore mm -hmm. they don't really see the point in school because it's like, well, I want to be a footballer and I don't need to learn geography, you know? So it's, uh, oh, cool. And it's it's a strange one because now I'm I'm an avid fan of kind of stoicism and like trying not to be influenced by outside things, having my own thoughts and that sort of thing. And when I look back, I think I had a little bit of that mindset from day one in that if someone told me something, I wouldn't just believe it just because they said it. I would kind of question it in my own mind and try and think about if it's something that I believe in. Um, you know, if someone said something was cool, I'd be like, well, do I think it's cool or whatever? Uh, and I think that maybe I was a little bit like that at school. And, and that's kind of when I discovered kind of about the Stoics and Stoicism and that thought process, 
it really resonated with me because I was like, yeah, I've always thought a little bit like that. Um, and yeah, so I think I might have been, I enjoyed school, but it wasn't the best days of my life like I was told it would be. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I agree with you. It was funny because when, I think in some ways, uni for me was was that kind of, I rarely enjoyed it because I went back twice, once pre and post 2008 financial crash that I did my undergrad in mechanical engineering, graduated, went to work overseas in construction on this great career path, World Ends, went back to do a PhD and luckily I got to do it again. So I just got to have eight years worth of piss ups, which <laughs> was, was the dream. But what it did do, it meant that I kind of got it all out my system so that I'm 38 this year and I'm probably now less likely to have a midlife crisis purely because I know I did it well, age kind of like 18 to 24. So, uh, <laughs> you really went for it. <laughs> anyway, but you know, <laughs> oh God. So fast forward to, uh, when you first got into, cause we'll do the, the jobs and the career side of bid writing, et cetera, before we then, if you're happy to, to talk about how you almost got the itch to start your first business. Is that cool? Yeah, um, it was kind of accidental, really. Um, I think a lot of people fall fall into business accidentally, um, but a lot of my a lot of my immediate family are self employed. My dad had always had his own his own businesses. He started his business very young and had a number of businesses. Um, and my uncles and even my grand grandfather, like I think, literally most of my family are self employed. So I guess it was kind of inevitable at some point that it might happen. Um, but, uh, I worked, uh, for NCG, Newcastle college group. Um, I left there when, when I was due to have my first daughter. So I spent a lot of time working away from home, uh, a lot of time in a, a hotel room on the other side of the country. My first daughter was due to be born. Did I want to spend four or five days of the week in a hotel room? Yeah. No. Um, uh, so uh, I left and uh, without anywhere really to go. <laughs> um, I had a couple of job interviews, uh, but the, as soon as I left, I got offered um, consultancy work to work for one of the divisions of the company I just left. So it kind of happened accidentally. All of a sudden, uh, I couldn't work for anyone, so I was on gardening leave, uh, but they offered me work. So I was like, well, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I've, I've kind of doubled my wage while I'm on gardening leave because I can't work for anyone else. Um, and I had a couple of job offers, um, but the, the consultancy I was doing, they wanted to extend it even more. Um, and then I thought, maybe I've got a business here. So it really did happen by accident. No, because I must say, it's always that balance of when, when you talk to people who want to start their own business, it's to almost find your feet and find your first few customers, et cetera, before, is that your Slack keeps popping up? Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, no, don't worry. It's cool. Um, but no, but it's to find your own uh, feet and almost hopefully get to the point where you can wash its own face before you're like reliant on it. Does that make sense? I think often some people want to jump in and try and live the dream, but without everything up and ready and running and customers yeah. and stuff. And whilst you can do that, it's a lot tougher. And also you'll see your cash gradually go down. So it's great to hear that you almost had your first business almost up and running before. Yeah, I guess it, I always admire people when they say, oh, I, I just left and I went for it rather than kind of, I know a lot of people do a bit of a transition where they kind of build it up and, and have it alongside, you know, to start from, from scratch um, must be a, a scary thing. I guess I'm quite lucky that it 
landed on my on my lap almost and then I had the basis of an income to then work out what else I was going to do and and you know I, I was under no illusion that this bit of consultancy work wasn't going to last forever um, I needed to find some other customers and some other clients and how would I do that I had no idea um, but I was I was ready to give it a go <laughs> and then that company was uh, bid and how'd you say it bid and research yeah so I set up bid and research. It wasn't called bid and research in the first year. It was called T Ward Business Development. Um, <laughs> and my idea was I'd offer everything and anything I thought I could do, and then after a year I would try and narrow that down and and do something more specific. But, but that's and- a good approach. That's a good idea. One of the things I think where most people go wrong is they don't offer enough. So they might say, "Look, I only want to do bids and research," but actually what can happen is if the market isn't big enough for, to just sustain that and there's people that might want to hire them and that like you and trust you and stuff obviously my odds one of them um but actually they might not need that service so i think sometimes that's completely the right thing to do to almost find your niche and then yeah. how did that go how did you uh almost because it was eight years or so was it Were you running the business yeah, eight years ago and, and the first thing i the first thing i did was um I remember I got invited to a BNI meeting and I was like, what on earth is this? I honestly thought I was going to get murdered. I got told to meet them out of the car park at half past six in the morning. It was raining. It was dark. I think it was at Redworth Hall. I was like, someone came to greet me with an umbrella. I was like, what on earth am I doing here? I texted my wife like, this is where I am. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I joined it. I joined it for a the first year in business and I got a lot of knowledge from a lot of people who were running small businesses who'd kind of been there and done it. I'm a very big believer in talking to people that have been there and done it. Mm. Um, and I joined this group and there was people there who did marketing, people who did finance, people who did all different things that I had when I was in a big company. So there was my marketing department, there was my finance department, there was my social media, um, there was someone who specialized in operations. And I kind of used that group to learn from people. I got quite a bit of business from it as well. And I would like, I would hope that the people in the group think that I did something positive for them too. Um, but I learned so much in, in that year. And I think if I hadn't joined that in my first year, I would have struggled because I wouldn't have had that network of people. Mm-hmm. Like how do you go out and get that network of people? Um, so I did that for a year and then kind of rebranded the business um, using the expertise of some of the people in the group who did print and design and that sort of thing um, and launched it as bid and research because our two services we had sold the most of the previous year were bidding and research. Uh, <laughs> but the things, but that shows great. One of the things that any good business should do is learn and iterate, find what works and then sell more of it is the, the Alan Sugar kind of term. So to almost embrace that and do that is, is spot on. Um, Donna Walker asks, hi, Tim, what's been your biggest challenge as a new business owner? Biggest challenge? Oh, I think uh, the biggest challenge as a new business owner is trying to do everything. Like, literally, I am the T-boy, the marketing, the finance, the admin, the delivery. Uh, You know, that's the biggest challenge, I think, trying to do everything, but understanding what's going to have the biggest impact and what's the immediate need. And when you're a new business the immediate need typically is I need to make some money. Um, and that's usually driven by I need some customers. So then it's like, how do I get some customers and how do I get some money? 
So, at least you are employee of the month every month though is the uh... oh, always yeah i mean but i didn't always have time to print out a picture and stick it on the wall uh amongst all my other jobs like making the tea and tidying up um that was the biggest challenge i think um yeah get, being having the mindset as well of 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 asking for help not being afraid to ask for help um going to someone that's 10 steps ahead of you and asking for help I don't think there's been many times in my life where I've asked someone for help and they've said no. Yeah. Um, especially business people, because I think we're all, there's all like the kind of um, the mindset of we're in it together and we understand each other in a way. It's like some kind of secret club of people that are absolutely insane to go and do this. Um, I joked with one of my friends literally about two hours ago who he works for a big international tech startup, like one of the big global ones. And he's really good at his job. But at some point he would like to do his own thing. And I joked with him because I play Xbox and I play computer games and stuff because I'm a bloke, why not? And but anyway, and I joked that business is almost like the world's biggest, longest, most difficult computer game. And there's a hundred million players <laughs> and you're on it. And if you do badly, you can't pay your bills. But if you do, you get extra prizes. But the point is, because I almost I try and treat this as a game and I enjoy the process and the practice and stuff. But actually, it is, you're completely correct, you know, correct. And the one thing that I would say as well is that almost the the fact that you did it with a family and with commitments and stuff is even more kind of, you know, more impressive because obviously it's 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 a bigger act, it's a bigger risk. The arguably, you know, the one thing when you start any business is all about risk is what if it goes wrong? So actually to do that with family and stuff is really, really impressive. I mean, there's nothing like uh, the fear of, of poverty to make you work hard, though, is there? <laughs> that, that whole thing of uh, I have a child and the child needs this, that and the other, you know, if there's something that's going to get you out of bed in the morning, it's it's definitely that. Um, I must say, but it's, it's funny that a lot of people... And we, we talk about this on the roadmap course, but people have positive ambitions that they want to achieve. They want the house, they want the car, et cetera. But actually on Tony Robbins calls the moving away values, but it's almost, yeah, it's the fear of failure. It's the negatives. And actually harnessing that is arguably the biggest motivator that, you know, I'm sure it's the same for you, but almost if this all went tits up and it was just a complete failure and, you know, I ended up getting a job at some point, as long as I knew if I tried my best, I would, I'd be happy with that. And it's, uh, but you are true that almost the fear of failure is a hundred times bigger than actually any potential gain yeah. of other stuff. Yeah. And, and for me, like when it comes to bid writing, I'm not really one for the glory of the win. Like I just hate losing. And I think it's the same in business. Like I would hate to think that I'd lost in some way. Uh, but then if you think about what is a loss, I guess a loss might be, oh, I need to close my business. But then then what? Then I get a job. And that's where I was in the beginning. Yeah. So, and that wasn't too bad. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, e Elon Musk describes uh, running a company as uh, it's like chewing on glass, staring into the abyss, <laughs> which I think is, <laughs> there's definitely days like that. But there's so much... Um, that comes from it in terms of things you learn, learn about yourself, learn about your customers. You've got to learn about so many different aspects of business to, to have any chance of, of uh, success, whatever success might look like to you. You uh, run a bit of research development. Yeah. And you did that for seven or so years before the idea for opportunity come up or how yeah. did that? Well, 
to be honest, the idea for opportunity started very early in, in the bid and research journey in that um, there's a real issue around finding public sector contract opportunities. Um, I think it's, it's kind of recognized across the industry that um, it's just really hard to find the right things. And there's a number of different aggregator type tools out there that, that find things that might be relevant, bunch them together and they land in your inbox and you get 60 of them a day and you sift through them and find the right things. Um, but there just wasn't anything that, uh, that was doing the job. And I think that was a frustration that I felt and a frustration that certainly my customers felt that finding these tender opportunities was a real challenge. So there's around three and a half to 4,000 tender portals in the UK, wow. which is just absolutely crazy. Um, you know, adverts all over the place. Some are duplicated, but there's nothing that brings them all together in one place um, or not in a way that's kind of efficient. Um, and I always thought, wouldn't it be great if I just wanted to bid for this type of opportunity and it just landed in my inbox? Um, and I just didn't think it was possible. I just kind of put up with the fact that um, the solution wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And over the years, the, the frustration just grew and grew and grew to a point where I got in touch with a friend of mine uh, who we kind of just met through for our kids at school. Uh, we met up for, for a cuppa. Um, but I'm a, I'm a big kid, so I had a milkshake. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Richie was a bit like, what? <laughs> um, we talked, I talked about it. I was like, this is a challenge. I wonder if there's a solution. He's a tech guy and he's like, the things he's doing are like on a different level completely. Like I couldn't even comprehend some of the things he's doing and achieving through tech. And he's like, oh yeah, it's absolutely possible to do what you want to achieve, to gather all these bits of data, organize them. Um, and I was like, okay. Uh, and at the time he was very busy and you, you know, I I'm not sure he quite got the sector. Um, why does Slack keep going when I turned it off? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, he, he went away, I went away and I was like, right, I need to try this. So we set up a, an MVP. So I was like, right, I'm going to try and create some kind of minimum viable product, even if it's just an admin person doing the searches. Um, and I was really honest with people. I was like, look, we're going to search as many portals as we can. It's just an admin person. I'm just going to see how it works. I ran that for a while. Um, and we're getting really good kind of feedback on, on the fact that yes, you're delivering just the information we need. Um, lockdown started and I suddenly found myself with a little bit more time than I'd ever had before. Um, <laughs> So um, a business partner, we got back in touch and he's like, right, should we do this or what? I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we, uh, we built on the learnings from running it through really crude kind of emails and admin mm -hmm. um, and, and started to build something out that was, that was really smart, something that's automated, something that's scalable and tested, 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 tested. Um, we knew that there was real potential for it. Um, we just didn't quite know how much potential until we started to get going with it. Um, but it, it, it's very cool because with what's with any business, you always want your your unique selling point. Why why you? Why now? Etc. And you know, I spent three and a half years in the UK public sector, so I kind of understand the process and a few of the kind of different things. But then, almost you, you so I understand the portals, no due, and that kind of thing, the process. 
and it's I, I, honestly i think it's an absolute blinder the fact that you you obviously understood bids you understood clients you understood the challenges that they face you knew how to tackle them you're doing it manually and actually very few people would have that knowledge if that makes sense and then the you know the thought and i think it's a brilliant idea to aggregate those things down because for instance i don't know if they still have it but there used to be a department for international trade portal which was for overseas tenders which you could go for but there was thousands and thousands and thousands so for an oil and gas company i used to go through that all the time but it was a massive job because that's the other side to it as well is that you not only bring the bids to the customer but it's also it's the fact that it's saving the client time because i went on your website and stuff and it's very well done that if you're a business owner it's the fact that you're spoon feeding them exactly what they want i think it's brilliant honestly i think it's fascinating um yeah so we we like you say we've drawn from that experience of just understanding what's what's wrong in the marketplace um we didn't look too much at what else was was out there because we knew it wasn't meeting our needs. We our needs. We kind of started with a, a blank slate of well, what would something really good look like, um, and tried to come up with all kinds of different innovations about what are the different challenges people face. And I think our key driver, which goes back to my working links days, I think working links days when I was realizing that helping people get into jobs was having a positive impact. And I liked that. And I liked the feeling that that gave me the same when I went into the world of bids and I was helping small and medium sized businesses to win contracts. And you'd see the business owner would then employ people and he'd take his kids to Disneyland. They'd be like, I, I'm not saying that it was me and I'm the Messiah or whatever, but like, but playing a part in that was really rewarding. So when we went into opportunity, it was like, wouldn't it be amazing if we could help like thousands of SME businesses to identify and bid for government contracts? So it started with just finding the tenders. The first step is you get the right tender opportunity in front of you and you go, yes, that's something my business can deliver. But then it's about the whole journey, about end to end. Once you've got that in your inbox, it's still then, well, what the hell do I do with it? How, how do I do this? Mm -hmm. So... It's about building out that journey that, that gets them from finding an opportunity to actually winning it. And that's where we've we've tried to be different and tried to build out different tools to help people along the way. Um, so you know, is, is there like a tiered system where obviously, you know, people can pay the membership to get the opportunity, but do you also upsell them to maybe help them do the actual bid? So everyone gets the same, the same with their subscription. We've got access to a, a bid writer marketplace. So if they uh, want, clever, you know, clever. they can use the marketplace. Um, and we've got real smart, experienced bid writers who we've vetted and, and we know can do a great job. And it's about that matching process. Um, so we uh, we kind of, we've used some AI and, and machine learning in the background to match businesses with the tenders. Um, so we've kind of called it a bit of a Tinder for tenders type approach. <laughs> really cheesy but then we were talking to someone today about the marketplace and they said actually the marketplace is a bit like an airbnb type approach where you don't have any bid writers but you match people with with what they want brilliant idea um so it's about and then there's a number of other little tools that um if anyone wants to know they've got to subscribe uh, <laughs> i'm giving away all the secrets uh, that help people along the way as well before they get to that point um 
half the battle is actually deciding, is this a good tender opportunity for me? You could throw a lot of good money at bad opportunities um, or being a 200 grand 10 of a company bidding for 8 million pound contracts, which you're just not going to win. Um, you, you've got to be realistic, but, but if you don't know, then you could easily do that. And it's about helping people with that knowledge to maximize their chances of, of winning these, these big contracts. No, I, just, I, I think it's brilliant. I'm going to steal Matt Ord's question, although it was actually one of my questions. Okay. Um, so, that, worries, that worries me. What's he asking? <laughs> well, he was trying to rip you about Hartlepool under 11's B team, but actually <laughs> he, he was talking about, so what is the kind of, what is the dream for Opportunity? Is it a UK thing? Do you want to take it beyond that? Uh, the dream for Opportunity is to impact as many small and medium-sized businesses as possible to help small businesses to pick up a huge market share of those government contracts. Um, so to give you an indication of the size of the market, the government and government organizations spend 264 billion pound a year, which is just a phenomenal amount. It's, it's mind blowing amount, but the government targets are that a third of that will be spent with SME businesses. That target was not hit by the government consistently, um, because there's so many barriers in place. Now our ambition is to play a positive part in that to help the government to source better, to, to contract with smaller businesses, to impact more smaller businesses. The more small businesses we impact, the more uh, benefit we have for local economies and create, create an employment through small businesses. Um, you know, the small businesses of today are the big businesses of tomorrow. <laughs> that sounds really cheesy. <laughs> I should make a quote with that. Uh, but it's true though, isn't it? You know, there's there's so many good small businesses that me and you will know of that have so much potential. And if they could win a government contract, that's that say a three-year contract or a five-year contract, deliver what they do, that gives them massive stability to cover their costs, to cover um, wages of people. And it's a real platform for growth. So that's the, the goal is to have impact. Um, and we're targeting companies to kind of, uh, I suppose, I don't say educate them, to, to spread the word that the opportunity is out there to help them to, to access these opportunities. Yeah, I think it's cool. Because I think I found that when I was at the LEP, it was almost at the, you can have the best product in the world or even the best tender in the world. But the biggest issue that anyone always faces when you're trying to raise awareness and get stuff out there is, is awareness. It's actually, you know, fair enough if people know about your service but choose not to buy it, it's not right for them. But 99% of people just don't know it exists. And that's always the hardest challenge is actually just to kind of get the word out there. So no, I think it's very, it's very cool. Yeah. Um, and then the, the question on is it UK only, we have some ambitions uh, to, to look internationally. Um, of course, there's, there's the same issue across the globe. Um, so, you know, if we can crack the UK, why why wouldn't we look to to America, to Europe, to Australia? Um, Asia's a little bit different in terms of the way that procurement works. Yeah. And, um, but, th but in terms of the the model, the fact that you're probably quite rare in what you do, you know, I can't imagine this huge amount of competition but there's ways that you can interact with different businesses at different value at different level. I think, I think it's brilliant. I think it's uh, absolutely spot on. Um, is it correct that you raised money to kind of get this far? 
Uh, yeah, we've had we've had some uh, some VC uh, support. Uh, we're under a bit of an embargo at the moment to say okay. what and where. But, uh, yeah, we we had a lot of interest. We we run won a Tech Nation Rising Star Award, so we were classed as kind of a high growth tech company, and that drove a lot of interest mm-hmm. inwards to us, which was you know super exciting. Um, and we thought, you know, actually, we've got a lot of potential here. And if this can support us to reach our potential, then uh, then why not? So no, I think it's fine. It was what I was going to ask. It was almost the, and you don't have to answer if it's under embargo or whatever. But it was almost you know about the process about how did you find it and almost uh, I don't mind. You can click on it. <laughs> uh, I do the things I joked. That was the reason why I clicked my thing off at the start. Is I knew Skype would keep doing the same. So no, it's cool. It's cool. Um, but yeah, what I was going to say it was almost it was the process of you. How did you find it to like go to market? And did you have to pitch to people, or was it all done through the competition? Or yeah. I know this is something people would be really interested in. So a lot, a lot of people give us a lot of advice about um, raising and VCs and that sort of thing. But uh, and and we sought a lot of advice. We spoke to a lot of people that had been through the process. To me, I didn't understand the world of of VCs particularly. Um, a business partner had, you know, some more experience than, than myself, but to me, it was a whole new world. Um, and, you know, it's, I suppose it's a, considered a bit of a game. You've got to play these games and it's a numbers game and whatever, but we were in a lucky position where we, we didn't have to raise, we didn't need to raise. Um, so we could be much more selective about what we were doing, um, who we were talking to. Um, but I guess for anyone trying to do it, I would say that, you are essentially picking another business partner. Mm-hmm. So if you've got any doubts in your mind, would you go into business with this person? Like that was my my thought process. And if it was a no, then we would walk away immediately. Because why would you? Why why would you opt to share your business with someone if you didn't think that they had the same beliefs or whatever? Um, uh, yes, it was an intense process. There's a lot of information to provide, um, but uh, I think a lot of people raise money from a point a point of view where they are burning through cash and they need to raise money. And I guess that's a very different scenario to what we were in, in that we were a cash generating business. We, we had a customer base. We had a growing reputation. We came at it from the point of view of who can add value, who can help us, who can be on this journey with us. Um, my advice... Uh, Honestly, don't know how to turn Slack off. <laughs> uh, it's because I've got the app installed and it doesn't it doesn't seem to turn up. Uh, don't worry. Yeah, so, so that's the um, that's the approach that we came at it with, and I think that worked well from our point of view. I don't know if if people could come at it with that angle, um, even if they did need the money. But I think certainly that mindset helped. But things uh, it allows you to make what is the best decision for the business long term when actually, you know, when a lot of people are almost uh if you're driven by the need to generate cash within the first six, twelve months because you have to, it, you're not gonna be able to build as sustainable larger business as you can longer term because you wouldn't be as able to kind of reinvest into the you know, into the business. So the the fact that you're able to do that almost also shows great confidence that you're choosing the right business partner because you genuinely believe that they're the right person to add value, not just because you need them. Cause I think you see it far too much where people like, 
oh, we're going to raise 300 grand and we're going to blow through it and then we're going to raise another million and then blow through that. And almost they sometimes don't realize that's someone's actual money <laughs> that they've yeah. earned. Yeah. And people often forget that and they just think it's like this magical VC part of stuff when actually having the respect to almost approach it in that way, I think it's really good. I think, well, it's someone else's money, but then also you, to waste it would be foolish because it, it's your money because you've, you've not just been given it for free. You've given away equity in, in your business. And if you have to do that again, because you've wasted it, um, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, I did ask uh, if, if we could get an opportunity branded speedboat because it's for marketing, but apparently we can't. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a strange one, but I guess if you, if you're burning through money and you need the money, mm -hmm. you're, then, you're not, in, you're not in the strongest position to negotiate, are you? Um, okay. And I think it's, it's, it is a negotiation and uh, try and put yourself in, in the best position possible. Uh, a phrase that we kept hearing was the best time to raise money is when you don't need to raise money. Um, which I think is seems very true now. Um, very cool. But the process is very time-consuming. It will consume your life for several weeks. Um, get good advice. Speak to people that have done it. Uh, the other thing, speak to founders who've been invested in by the same fund because they know the truth. <laughs> you know, you speak to speak to someone. They say how how are they as partners, and they, if they're having a hell of a time, then maybe that's not the right one. You know, do you want someone that's going to give you a hell of a time or do you want someone that's going to support you? So for us, it's like, what links can you make? How can you help us? Who can you, how can you advise us? What value can you add? Mm -hmm. um, and that, that worked well, I think. No, oh, cool. I'm just, I'm shocked at what time it is. It didn't feel like we've been talking for that long. And I was like, oh my God, it's 10 to five. Um, so what I'm going to do, because actually, you know, hopefully we've covered a lot of the, the main points that we wanted to kind of talk about. There's two main questions that I ask everyone, but then I'm also going to look back to almost, you know, ask if there's anything you want to plug as well before we kind of close up. But yeah, so again, for me, this is probably one of the most valuable bits of any of the interviews. And it's the kind of thing that, yeah, if someone might watch this in four years time or 40 years time on YouTube, who might be from Hartlepool that wants to start their own business, but they don't know how or et cetera. It's, it's a way to almost give back in some ways. So would you be happy um, and hopefully nobody's ever said no to almost share what's the best piece of advice you've ever had. So this, this, um, people usually laugh at me when I first say this. So the best bit of advice I've ever had came from a Ted talk that I watched on YouTube. And the bit that people laugh at is it's by Ty Lopez. So Ty Lopez is the here in my garage guy, the, you know what I love more than Lamborghini's knowledge. So he did a Ted talk. Uh, I think in Luxembourg, he did this TED Talk. His TED Talk is brilliant. And honestly, it changed my life. Like, no joke, it changed my life. And his whole thing was, if you want to do something or you want to achieve something, there will be a blueprint for it. There'll be someone that's done it. There'll be someone that's achieved it. Even, even if it's not directly exactly the same, all of those little bits that you need to know are out there. And the way to do that is to read, to use Audible, if you're not too much of a reader like myself, I read all day, so Audible suits me nicely, um, to watch YouTube videos. You can literally learn from the most successful people in the world who you wouldn't otherwise be able to access through reading, through books, through YouTube videos. 
you know, you can search like super niche business leaders who aren't that well known, who've grown really big businesses and watch interviews similar to this, where they're giving like real, real advice, real practical advice. Um, and that whole thing about doing that plus finding mentors. Mm -hmm. So if you want to grow a million pound business, the best way to do it is to speak to someone that's grown a hundred million pound business because mm -hmm. to them, they could probably grow a million pound business in a couple of months. Like they could set it up tomorrow and they could have it done. Whereas just to me, I'd be like, well, where do I start? So someone that's so far ahead that what you want to achieve would be easy to them. And that advice from that YouTube, that Ted talk video, really made me uh, go out there and find mentors, find physical mentors who were way, way ahead of me. Um, and it took a lot of searching, don't get me wrong. And the, at first it was just kind of, let's speak to my uncle who's done all right for himself. And then it's like, oh, who does he know? Oh, he knows this guy and he's done this. And then you'd speak to them. And then it doesn't necessarily have to be like a long-term, you know, sit down and quiz each other relationship. But when you find the right person, it can be that and they can become a non-exec and and the value that they bring to me has really changed my businesses and i've always tried to try to do that try to if someone recommends a book like i never ignore it i always try and read it or listen to it and i think that's probably the best bit of advice i've had no i think it's been i i completely agree i think it's always that the my mentors are famous people and people that have done it that's just where i kind of like almost so i signed up to have you ever had a master class which is yeah. it's it's um it's it's a 200 pound a year membership where you get people like uh, gordon ramsay anna winter from vogue annie Leibovitz, who's a photographer and loads of really famous people uh give master classes on certain key topics one of the ones which i watched was a guy called chris ford who's a former fbi negotiator and he teaches negotiation and it's, it's, but it's, it's just a different way to learn. And I'm just blitzing through these things, but it's fascinating, but that's what I choose to do. And it's just, it's uh, no, I think it's a brilliant piece of advice. And reach out to people like seriously, like the most high profile successful people, you reach out to them and say, you know, I'm keen to learn or, or whatever. If you, you pitch it the right way, you know, I guess the whole I'll buy you a coffee doesn't really work because they must get that 50 times a day. But if you try and pitch it the other way, it can be really useful. I reached out to a guy once and I was like, look, I really admire what you've done. Uh, I was wondering if we could get some time to get some advice from you, you know, give them a bit of uh, butter up their ego. Um, I actually went to meet a guy in an airport once. He was doing a connecting flight. I met him in an airport and we had to chat and I got so much value from him. And he drew this little picture and taught me about this, business thing drew a diagram about decision making which i then share with the world i always go on about it because it was amazing but like i wouldn't have got that if i didn't just send this random guy a message and he just happened to be landing in an airport near me in the next month um you know people do want to share their knowledge and experience and that's people of all levels like um even people who you wouldn't think of like a lot of footballers are quite keen to share things around mindset. Um, so I met a, a footballer, Victor Valdez, ex-Barcelona goalkeeper, Manchester United goalkeeper, Middlesbrough goalkeeper. Um, and he gave me some great advice around the Barcelona mindset, which was just phenomenal, like about how you think in five-minute stages. 
about how motivation works in short bursts. And if you have, uh, and he would, his goal for a game would be to not let in a goal in the first five minutes. And then he would assess the next five minutes and work out what he needed to do and what his strategy needed to be for the next five minutes based on how the game was going. And he did the same in training. Like you can have like, you can really go, you know, when you watch like a motivational video and you're like, really like, yes, I'm going to do it. That literally doesn't last, but it can last five minutes. Fascinating. I've never even heard of anything like that, but because this is also one of the things that, so I'm a basketball player and it's funny that the, the more elite level that you research and get involved with and just understand the complexity that people go into and the, mm-hmm. the depth of which people think through how to perfect a sport or a business or whatever. And, I find, you know, and I've read a lot of different books. I've recently finished uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's book where he was talking about the Man United in like the 90s and early noughties. But he didn't talk about that. It's, it's, uh, that's why I, I love doing this is that I've learned something today. Um, and hopefully my Ord has as well, which is cool. But never that's spot on. Um, if you were to give advice to your younger self and you can pick any age, uh, you know, whichever, what would it be? Um, to, so you know the whole thing about uh, you should do the things you love. Um, I don't think that necessarily applies because you, you see a lot of people that do things they love and it becomes mundane, it becomes boring. Mm-hmm. But what I would say is explore everything that you are interested in. And somewhere along the line, you'll find something that you are good at. If you're interested in it and you're good at it, to me, that's the key. Because then you're going to do something that fulfills you in somewhere. Mm. And you can leave the things that you love for, uh, I guess, hobbies. (laughs) I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but I think that's what I would say. Because if you just go after the one thing, like myself, football, I was like, right, I'm going to be a footballer and it doesn't work out. Then what? Like, but if I just spent more time exploring things that I was interested in, then that could have been a difference. I could have been a different story. And I think there's probably a lot of people out there that go after that one thing, but then don't go after anything else or it gets them so down that they've not got anything else in their life and they just settle for something else that's not fulfilling when actually there's probably lots of things that we're all interested in that if we read some books watch some videos talk to some people that do it you know there's probably lots of different things we could do with our lives uh you know you see lots of people that have kind of short 10-year careers in this that and the other and and i think those people are prime example of having lots of interests and following those interests yeah i agree no i think it's brilliant and it's just I just love talking to people and it's that fi- balance of just finding stuff that you actually enjoy doing and therefore it doesn't necessarily feel like work. So for instance, the, the stress of trying to get this technically to work and you know, there'll be bandwidth issues and stuff is almost part of the challenge, but then actually just flows into a conversation that I really like. And again, I've really learned something today that's been kind of really useful. Um, conscious of time, is there anything you would like to talk about or plug before we go? I suppose I should talk about opportunities, shouldn't I? <laughs> uh, yeah, so if anyone is interested in public sector tenders, um, you can go to the Opportunity website, which is opportunity.co.uk, um, or look me up on social media and you'll find all kinds of links to opportunity.co.uk. Um, sign up for a free trial. If anyone has any interest in tenders, the first step to tendering and winning government contracts is to actually get sight of what's out there in the marketplace and find the right opportunity for you. Um, so feel free to have a look. 
and sign up for a free trial. Spot on. Um, Neil, yeah, so just so you know, so after this ends, I press stop uh, and then I kind of clip it all up. It goes onto YouTube and I pick out the different bits and I'm probably going to pick out the Victor Valdez five minute things. It's brilliant. But and it just all the different sections. And then LinkedIn actually caps when you post video at 10 minutes per section. So what I'll probably do is clip up what I think are the best 10 minutes and I'll post that back. And actually that tends to be what kind of gets the best engagement because not everyone can catch this live, you know, et cetera. Plus sometimes you have buffering issues and stuff, but actually when they can watch it back in uh, cool, crisp HD and see your daughter come in and stuff, that's, that's cool. <laughs> uh, and then I also put it onto um, iTunes and Google and Spotify and stuff as a podcast as well, which it's funny when you do these, like you, you always assume that nobody actually ever watches, et cetera. But then you catch up with people about six months ago and like, oh yeah, actually I, I do. And more people consume than you think. And I still find that funny about social media that I reckon 97% of people never post anything. They just scroll through and they criticize people. Oh God, it's that Steve guy again. But <laughs> but they still see. They know who stuff. that Steve guy is. And that's, that's the thing, isn't it? But, but it's, it's the, the balance is that I know that if anyone within the Northeast or even wider is looking to do public sector tenders or bids, you come up, you know, that you're like the default option, which is exactly what you want. And then the more you can kind of get your personality across and stuff, you'll be like, actually, I like that guy. And then if our businesses do actually crash and burn, maybe we'll get a job again. If that's when it goes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Well, um, I appreciate your time. I always do. I apologize again about the few technical bits at the start, but it, you know, it is what it is. But then I'm, I'm genuinely fascinated to both see the progression and see kind of how it grows. I'm really interested in the, the app stroke development side of everything you're doing, just both from personal interest, but actually I can see it really, really working very well. But then also I might pick your brains about, you know, good developers to work with and stuff, because actually it's a whole topic in, in itself on how to create, like, is it just an app or is it just a website or is it both or? Uh, so we're a website, we're relaunching our app uh, shortly. We're just uh, going through another stage of uh, development. So a new version of the software is, is coming out, which is very much back end. So you won't see much change on the front end, but uh, once that goes through, then our app will be going live on the, on the app store again. Uh, took it down while we made some so change. cool because that's the one thing that almost gets me is that with when you develop custom consumer insights over time the more you interact with your customers and you get a feel for it is that people are inherently very busy and the fact that on a phone which you have on you virtually all the hours that you're awake the idea yeah. that you could do push notifications is an absolute dream for what yeah. you do and it's just you don't necessarily get that with an email in the same way so i think it's uh again i'm going to check it out i'm fascinated emails can easily get lost can't they you know i've been on this call and i'll go on my emails and there'll be a ton of emails in there and uh, if but if you've got a push notification for some people that's easier to go oh there's a tender and you go on there and you click get me the document so i'm interested in this so you forward it on to someone and it's just that ease of access we, we live in a world where we're massively connected um I've just been reading uh, Stephen Bartlett's book and he calls us the connected generation. And, uh, and it's true, you know, the more different devices we can connect to and different ways we can appeal to people, the better. So we, we relaunching that with some different, uh, a bit of a different approach to, to what it was previously um, to make it just to make things more accessible.
Yeah, cool. Well, I genuinely appreciate your time. I've really enjoyed today. It's always funny that I'm, I'm always waiting that when I press stop and I'll go and make sure it properly recorded and stuff because these things have you know, like gone wrong in the past. But actually, you know, I, I hope we kind of stay in touch. And again, because I think we're kind of similar age, it's when you see people and, you know, we're all kind of a similar stage in our journey. So we'll just see it evolve. And then like in a year's time, oh, do you remember this? And do you remember? Because one of the things I've started to do was I only moved into this office maybe like two, three weeks ago. And I take photos of everything. And it's just, it's part of the journey. So that one day, maybe the, you know, the famous photo of Jeff Bezos with his door desk. And it's just when it was just a hovel in a corner. And it yeah. just, you know, I, I can tell that you're going to go on to do really kind of great things with this. You know, genuine, I can see it. And again, just in the Northeast alone, there's 42,000 businesses that, you know, would majority, you know, a large number would benefit from public sector tenders. So I can rarely see this like flying. Imagine so, if, imagine if 30,000 of them won contracts with local, <laughs> local councils, local NHS, housing associations, what that would do for the local economy. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly the, I, know, I know every area complains about, oh, out of the area businesses are winning contracts and stuff. Or the common thing in Teesside is it's all those London businesses. And in London, they're probably going, it's all those Teesside businesses. Uh, you know, so there's a, there's a but big things, opportunity. But that in many ways could be the competitive advantage for the Northeast. We're all looking about how we create more and better jobs and do all this stuff. Is actually, you know, the more we can win work from the Midlands and from Coventry and whatever and outsource it, or what do they call it, North Shoring, you know, it's brilliant. So it's it's an advantage to have more knowledge to actually get sight on contracts that you probably wouldn't otherwise see because they're in Liverpool. That actually, if using your service, you know, that could, I think it's a brilliant uh, one that hopefully, you know, really kind of takes off. So cool. Well, I appreciate your time. We are on three minutes past five. Um, I will clip this up, do all the fancy stuff, uh, and then hopefully post it fairly soon. But no, I genuinely appreciate your time, Tim. And uh, yeah, you stay in touch. Time. Thank you for having me. No worries. I enjoyed it. Thank you all. Right, cheers, Tim. Bye-bye.